This is Reverend Joseph Caesar, and welcome to the Good News Program. I am truly blessed and honored to be called by God to be his servant to spread the good news of salvation to you all. You have done the right thing. Don't change the channel. You are not here by chance, but by divine guidance. Well, hello again, my radio friend in different lands. This is Reverend Joseph E. Caesar bringing you the good news of salvation. It is a pleasure for me to come and speak to you bi-weekly. Soon, one day, you all will be seeing me, and it's even better. It's something else when coming to this. I look forward to really bring the good news to you, and I thank God for his calling upon my life. Today, I want to talk to you from the book of Luke, which is chapter 4, and from verse 1 onward. I pray that somebody will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Don't change the channel. Do not leave to go anywhere. Stay until the final my professor used to say that in college, make sure you come to hear the first part, the middling and the ending. Those are very important. However, as I will begin, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So let me tell you now, on the temptation of Jesus, you can look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. He started to feel the hunger pains. Being 40 days tempted. That is me, it means through 40 days. He was tried in various ways by the devil. The temptations, however, which are recorded by Matthew and Luke did not take place until the 40 days were finished. Not until they were finished. And so as he did eat nothing, he was, he was sustained by the power of God during this season of extraordinary fasting. And moving down to Luke chapter 4, Verse 3, And the devil said unto him, 
If thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. He has a lot of big mouth because Adam gave him what he was supposed to have, give it over to him. So that is why he said that. If thou, he said, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto, unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from here. Oh, cast thyself down from hence, which is the same thing. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. You can find that in Psalms 91. Most powerful Psalms you would ever find, Psalms 91. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had tempted, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. departed for a season, which is for a time. From this, it appears that our Savior was afterwards subjected to temptations by Satan. But no particular temptations are recorded after this. He leave him for a season. From John 14.30, it seems that the devil tried or tempted him in the agony of Gethsemane. 
and we can compare the notes at Hebrews 12 and 4. It is more than probable also that Satan did much to excite the Pharisees and Sadducees to endeavor to entangle him and the priests and rulers to oppose him. Yet out of all this temptation, God delivered him, and so he will make a way to escape for all that are tempted and will not suffer from, from them to be tempted above that which they are able to bear. God will always make a way of escape. I'm going down to, you know, verse 14, says in Second Corinthians and 10, 13, Luke 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. In the power of the Spirit, by the influence or direction of the Spirit. A fame just went out, a report. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all. Glorified of all? Praised by all, that is what it means. Or all were pleased with his instructions were pleased with all the instructions. Everybody admired his wisdom. And afterwards he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And as his custom was, he went. He usually go there. From this it appears that the Savior regularly attended the service of the synagogue. In that service, the scriptures of the Lord of the Old Testament were read, praise were offered, and the word of God was explained. And you can see again at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. There was great corruption in, in doctrine and practice at that time, but Christ did not, did on that account, keep away from the place of public worship. From this, we may learn that it is our duty regularly to attend public worship that it is better to attend a place of worship which is not entirely pure or where just such doctrines are not delivered. And we would wish that not, we will not attend at all. It is of vast importance that the public worship of God should be maintained and it is our duty to assist in maintaining it, to show by our example that we love it, and to win others also to love it. 
If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, at the same time, this remark should not be construed as enjoining, as enjoining it as, as our duty to attend where the true God is not worshipped or where he is worshipped by pagan rites and pagan prayers. If, therefore, the Unitarian does not worship the true God and the Roman Catholic worships God in a manner forbidden and offer homage to the creatures of God, thus being guilty of idolatry, it cannot be a duty to attend on such a place of worship. In the synagogue, they usually stood up to read the books of Moses, uh, for that is so divided that they could be read through in the synagogue once in a year. To these were added portions out of the prophets so that no small part of them was read also once a year. It is not known whether our Savior read the lesson, which was the regular one for that day. Though it might seem probable that he would not depart from the usual custom, yet at the eyes of all were fixing him as he deliberately looked out a place and as the people were evidently surprised uh, that he did. It seems to be intimated that he selected a lesson which was not the regular one for that day. The same ceremonies is regarded to conduct a public worship, which are here described are observed at Jerusalem by the Jews at the present time. I attended the Jewish worship at Jerusalem and was stuck. Yeah. In the New Testament, the sacred robe was brought from the chest or closet where it was kept. It was handed by an attendant to the reader. A portion of it was rehearsed. The congregation rose and stood while it was read. Whereas, whereas the speaker, as well as the others present, sat during delivery of the address, which formed a part of the service. And in and in and in same Luke verse seventeen, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. There was delivered unto him by the minister of the synagogue, or the keeper of the sacred books. They were kept in an ark or chest not far from the pulpit, and the minister gave them to whomsoever he chose 
to read them publicly. The book, the volume contained the prophecy of Isaiah. It would seem from this that the books were kept separate and not united into one and with us. When he had opened the book, literally, when he had unrolled the book, books among the ancients were written on parchments or vellum, that is, skins of beasts, and were rolled together on two rollers beginning at each end, so that while reading, they would roll off from one to the other. Different forms of books were indeed used by, but this was the most common when used. The reader unrolled the manuscript as far as the place which he wished to find and kept before him, just as so as he would read. When the roller was done, when it was carefully deposited in a case, the place where it was written, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Again it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, or I speak by divine appointment. I am divinely inspired to speak. That is what Jesus was saying. There can be no doubt that the passage in Isaiah had a principal reference to the Messiah. Our Savior directly applies it to himself, and it is not easily applicable to anyone or any other prophet. Its first application might have been to the restoration of the Jews from Babylon, but the language of prophecy is often applicable to two similar events, and the secondary event is often the most important in this case. The prophet used most striking poetic image to depict the return from Babylon. But the same image also described the appropriate work of God. Hath anointed me. The whole hath anointed me. Anciently, Kings and prophets and the high priests were set apart to their work by anointing with oil. You could find it in First Kings 19 to 16, Exodus 29 and 7 and 4, Samuel chapter 9, verse 16, etc. This oil or 
ointment was made of various substances and it was forbidden to imitate it. You read it in Exodus chapter 34 to 38. Hence, those who were set apart to the work of God as king, prophet, or priest were called the Lord's anointed. In 4 Samuel 16 and 6, you always heard people say, touch not the Lord anointed and do the prophet no harm. Hence, the Son of God is called the Messiah, a Hebrew word signifying the anointed or the Christ, a Greek word signifying the same thing. And by this being anointed, is not meant that he was literally anointed, for he was never set apart in that manner, but that God has set him apart for this work that he had constituted or appointed him to be the prophet, priest, and king of his people. You can see the notes in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 said to preach the gospel to the poor. The English word gospel is derived from two words, God or good, and spell, an old Saxon word meaning history, relation, narration, word or speech, and the word therefore means a good communication or message. This corresponds exactly with the meaning of the Greek word, a good or joyful message, glad tidings by the poor, and meant all those who are destitute of, the, of comfort of this life, of this life, and who therefore may be more readily disposed to seek treasures in heaven. All those who are sensible of their sins or are poor in spirit and all the miserable and the afflicted. Isaiah 58, 7. Our Savior gave it as one proof that he was the Messiah or was from God that he preached to the poor. In Matthew 11, 15, 11 and 5, preached to the poor. The Pharisees and Sadducees despised the poor. Ancient philosophers neglected them, but the gospel seeks to bless them, to give comfort where it is felt to be needed and where it will be received with gratitude. Riches fill the mind with pride, with self-complacency, and with a feeling that the gospel is not needed. The, the poor feel their need of some sort of comfort that the world cannot give, and accordingly, our Savior met with 
his greatest success, the gospel among the poor. And there also, since the gospel has shed its richest blessings and its purest joy, it is also one proof that the gospel is true. It, if it had been of men, it would have sought the rich and mighty, but it pours contempt on all human greatness and seeks like God to do good to those whom the world overlooks or despise. See the notes in 1 Corinthians 1 and 26. To heal the brokenhearted, to console those who are deeply afflicted or whose hearts are broken by external calamities or by a sense of their sinfulness, deliverance to the captive. This is a figurative originally applicable to the to to whose to those who were in captivity in Babylon. They were miserable to grant deliverance to them and restore them to their country, to grant deliverance to those who are in prison and restore them to their families, to give liberty to the slaves and restore him to freedom, was to confer the highest benefit and depart, and then impart riches favor. In this manner, the gospel imparts favor. It does not indeed literally open the doors of prison, but it releases the mind on the sin. It gives comfort to the prisoner, and it will finally open, finally open all prisons, all doors and break off all the chains of slavery and by preventing crimes, preventing all the sufferings that are the consequences of crime. Sight to the blind, that was often literally fulfilled. You can find it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, John 9, 11, Matthew 9, 30, to set at liberty them that are bruised by word, by the word. Bruised here evidently was the same general significant and signification as brokenhearted or the contrite. It means those who are pressed down by great calamity or whose hearts are pressed or bruised by the consciousness of sin. To set them at liberty is the same as to free them from this pressure or to give them consolation. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord is a time when God is willing to accept of people or to receive sinners coming to him. The gospel assures us that the guilty may return and that God will graciously receive them. There is perhaps 
here an allusion to the year of Jubilee, the 50th year when the trumpet was blown and through the whole land proclamation was made of the liberty of the Hebrew slaves, of the remission of debts and of the restoration of possessions to their original families. Look, look it up in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8 to 13. The Pharisees, the acceptable year, means the time when it would be acceptable to God to proclaim, proclaim such a message or to agreeable to him, to wit under the gospel. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Christ. And he closed the book. That is, he rolled it up again and he gave it again to the minister, that is to the one in the synagogue who had charge of the books. The word means servant and the office was not much unlike that of a sexton. Now it was his duty, among others, to take charge of the books, to hand them to the reader of the law, and then return them to their place, and he will sat down. This was usual in speaking in their synagogue. It was a usual thing. They were fastened on him steadfastly. They focused intently, fixed on him, waiting to see what explanation he would give of the words. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This writing or this part of the scripture fulfilled. It is coming to pass. It is coming to pass this day. It's in your air. It is probably that this said much more than this. It is recorded, but Luke has preserved only the substance of this discourse. This was the amount or some of his sermon or his explanation of the passage that it was now receiving its accomplishment. All are bad with witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? All bear him witness. All were witness of the power and truth of what he said. Their reason and conscience approved of it. And they were constrained to admit the force and 
propriety of it. And on this account, they wondered. They wondered. They wondered. They were stuck with the truth and the force of his words and his wisdom. And especially when they remembered that he was a native of their own place and that they had been long acquainted with him and that he should now claim to be the Messiah and give to such evidence that he was the Christ. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. I pray that this message touch your heart today. I pray that, that somebody come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you, my radio friend. Thank you, my friends from BBS Radio. May God richly bless you all and continue to open doors and keep you all safely. Stay away from the COVID. I pray that God will watch over you. Whoever is sick, may you get healing, study the scriptures, and may God richly bless you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Amen.